Hello, I'm Victoria. And I'm Johnny. Welcome to Tasty Pages. A podcast for people who love cookbooks, food, and cooking. Each week, we'll discuss a featured cookbook from our popular Cooking the Books Instagram page. We'll also discuss the dishes that we made and rank the book in a variety of categories. Including food photography and styling, degree of difficulty, and of course, taste. The conversation is always unscripted, unedited, and uncensored. Spoiler alert, Victoria likes to swear. (laughs) All of this takes place in our living room in the heart of Minneapolis. Oh yeah, we also have a featured show topic with contributions from our listeners, and we end each episode with a lame food-related joke. Usually very lame. Hey now. (laughs) Join Join us for for Tasty Tasty Pages. This week's featured cookbook is... Milk Street Vegetables by Christopher Kimball. Hey, Johnny. Oh, hey, Victoria. (laughs) Didn't see you there. No, of course you didn't. I'm only like four feet away from you. Wow. What's going on? (laughs) How you doing? Um, Just to apologize in advance, this uh, episode might be a little bit messy. We've been day drinking. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Yes. Uh, towards the end I, I think we're professionals we can carry it we can carry through we'll do it it'll be fine okay <laughs> all right welcome to episode 64 of tasty pages a podcast from cooking the books uh if you go to our website www.wecookbooks.com and click on the store tab that will direct you to our amazon.com affiliate page we've got a few lists there if you click on any of those and do your shopping and make a purchase You'll get something you love. We'll get a little something in return. It won't cost you anything more. Win-win. What do you want to talk about first? How about our dinner at Awamni, which oh we had God. kind of discussed a little bit in the previous episode because it was upcoming. It's actually happened. It was amazing. Okay, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blanket say there were a couple. Okay, so we did this thing where they gave you Four choices for each course. It was a four-course menu. They give you. It was a tasting menu. I don't think they don't have another option. No. I mean, you you make reservations, and that's what you yeah. signed up for. So. And they give you four choices for each per course. course. Mm-hmm. So we each chose something different. One of which is, I believe, it's vegetarian, not necessarily vegan. Yes, but okay. we were we were like, nah, hey, no. Our money's worth. Great <laughs> meat. Some of the things that. You ordered, I did not love. I know. And we had decided ahead of time that we, for each course, we were going to each order something different so we weren't having the same thing. And that Mm -hmm. way we could just kind of share everything. So in reality, we were kind of getting like an eight course meal because we shared everything unless Mm -hmm. it was something like you said, like you didn't like. But that's what I was going to tell you before we hit record is like, I, I was like, I feel like we got kind of like an eight course tasting menu yeah. for the same price because we were just kind of sharing and, and it was great. So anyway, that, continue. That being on. said, even though there were things that I did not like, I would still give it like a 70,000 star review because it was the flavors were the flavors. It would be the first Michelin seventy thousand starred restaurant, right? The but, flavors uh, yeah. and the methods were so innovative. Yeah, like my mind was blown. The, well, first they started us off with like just a little tiny drink of their house made vermouth, and also they don't do cocktails. They have wine, and then they also have. 
a bunch of uh, mocktails, which are botanical inspired, and that you you had you had one of the mocktails. I had, I had, a, gla- glass I had a glass of wine at the very beginning when we uh-huh. were seated, and then I had uh, a mocktail, and it was delicious. It was like a Douglas fir situation with some other botanicals, and so it had this kind of pine. Mm-hmm. prominent flavor with it and uh not something i would probably normally gravitate to because well, i would, said, I would my me, mind would instantly go to like pine sol but well it, no but it to me so, it, it automatically goes to gin okay because Juniper, I always, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but i mean this was like herbal well-balanced delicious not too sweet and great. well, and we had a seat at the bar too, and like watching them make all these mocktails. Open kitchen as well, mm-hmm. best seat in the house as far as I'm it, concerned. Yeah, we sat at the bar; it was yeah. fantastic. And Some that of these is people that demand like the, the best, best table, table in the restaurant. Mm-mm. Screw those people. Um, we were sitting at the bar watching the action happen. So let's talk about what we had. Like, oh my god, I feel okay. like we could do a whole episode about. I know this we'll menu. we'll go down it really quick. Okay. So first course for our first course, I got the venison tartare, and it had like a duck egg. Uh, it was a pickled duck egg. Pickled duck egg, uh, purple sweet potatoes, some pickled carrots, and you you had the duck pate, uh, and it had. Uh, turnips candy turnip and smoked turnip and pickled duck egg yeah you weren't a fan of that i didn't love it was it the turnips probably yeah i I know you're not a fan of turnips i don't remember what exactly it was but i just i didn't love it and i mean talking about this does not do the dishes justice because all of these dishes were beautiful gorgeously plated and even though i didn't even though i didn't like it like i still appreciated it right like um, so for the second course, um, I had a bison tripe and tail situation and it had um, sweet potato, white next mall, some root vegetables, some chili crisp, and you had a pheasant. This mm-hmm. was another one that I did not like. Yeah, surprisingly. I know. And it was like there was a sweet potato dumpling, a black walnut vinaigrette. Maybe it was like the black walnut vinaigrette that I I think love. that's what we determined at the time because, you know, as you know, we're, neither of us are huge fans of walnuts. We find them a little too bitter. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this dish did have kind of a bitter flavor component yeah that was like i was just and like well it, and it had sage too yeah, so that was yeah, like compounded. yeah it didn't bother me but i i think that was kind of what we determined when we were hanging out and so then for the third course i had mutton it had green chili some blue corn tortillas and they were these beautiful like standing tall yeah. This dish had some oh, some height to it. It was gorgeous. Yeah. Um. Some uh, cactus leaves. It was uh, gorgeous. And then you had um wild rice stuffed quail, and it had currants, rosehip, juniper, some burdock. You didn't like the burdock. The bird. Yeah, you're right. The I don't like. Uh the texture is a little tough. Yeah, I'm. I'm kind of. They were funny. like these very thinly sliced strips of of burdock. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they brought out, I did not get to eat this. They brought out these um, crickets. Yeah. Like actual insects, people. Crickets. Um, I couldn't eat it because th- they said that it had 
shrimp paste in it. No, which- no, no, no. They said that if you had a shrimp allergy like you do, mm-hmm. that the like the exoskeleton of the <gasps> That's cricket right. was similar to shrimp that, you know, some people that have shrimp allergies would also be allergic to crickets. See, look so, at me. I totally fucked that up. Yeah. So, uh, you know, now when you make restaurant reservations, you got to tell them you got shrimp and cricket allergies. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I wonder how that went over with the average diner at that restaurant. I don't know. I think that was a pretty, pretty adventurous. I personally didn't have a problem with it. Because I was well, I just, just like about crunchy many, little bits. Yeah. Well, it, it was texture. Yeah. It was just a texture thing. I think about how many insects I've probably inadvertently Unknowingly, eaten. Yeah. Right. In my lifetime. So it, it didn't bother me. And, the, and it was mixed with some kind of like seeds and like a sugary syrup thing. Not unlike like chicky, which you used yeah, to enjoy. With yeah. Like Indian kind of. Uh, snack. I'm so bummed that I didn't get to try it. Yeah. Like, see, I should have loaded up on the um, Benadryl before we went there. Probably not a good idea <laughs> when you're drinking. But uh, I mean, I didn't drink but a ton. But. I get your point. Okay, so for dessert, we had... Did we have the... We had the duck and maple cake. Yep. It was duck bacon, hazelnuts, apple... Um, and then you had the ice cream sandwich yep. that had walnut ice cream. Which you were not a fan of. <laughs> no. Goddamn walnuts. Stop it with the walnuts. Uh, a pepita cookie, uh, some raspberry gel. The whole thing was just... I, I mean... It was so good. It was so We can't say enough good. about this. We don't, we don't dine out often, and it's even more rare when we dine out at a place of this caliber... And it was, you know, the room was fantastic. The service was fantastic. The food was like stunning. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was one of those memorable meals that I was still thinking about the day oh, after. The, the next I was kind day, of like a food hangover I, kind right? of thing. I, like I was like, swoon, like I woke up the next day and I felt like I was swooning over. Yeah. It's like when you go on a really good date. Yes. And you well, just swoon over it. Do like, I have to be worried? <laughs> You're gonna break up with me. It's not you. It's it's Awami. Um, so it's Awami. I can I can oh, tell you. You're funny. We had a very memorable meal at Bouchon in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. Thomas Keller's restaurant. Mm-hmm. We had. I remember when Spago was a thing, and they had an outpost in Chicago. We the, had the we yeah we had a good meal there once. The, the first time, time we went there, the second they time they were so mean to us. Closed, so fuck them. And I'm trying to think of what else. We had a great meal in New Orleans at um, Emerald's place, mm-hmm. which was I I don't remember. It was called Nola. Oh, that's right. There you go. Um, yeah. So there's like a few, and then we've done some of the. Outside dining, uh, outstanding, outstanding in, in the, the field. field. The first Dinners. one was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but if you've never done those, I think they're still doing them. Probably not during the pandemic. But, but they're probably so, but, they're probably like $300 now. Oh, more than oh that. Oh my probably. God. When but, we, but when we started A memorable them, experience. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, look those up too. Outstanding in the field. Um, but yeah, so... You know, there's a few that stick out in my mind in my lifetime that were just like these truly transcendent, to quote James Lipston, <laughs> memorable meals. Wait, did you say Lipston? I, I 
stumbled my words, but Lipton. No. <laughs> Did you know he used to be a pimp? James Lipton? Yes. What? He was a pimp in in France. Shut up. Yes. Says who? Says, Is this a go, re- go read it. Okay. <laughs> really? Yes. Huh. That's I. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to respond to that because that's just like you might as well just, just said he had like three heads or something. I just something. blew your fucking mind. Yeah, you kind of did. <laughs> All right. Okay, uh, let's we, get we've on. We've said enough it. about Awami. Okay. It's it's a. A truly remarkable restaurant. And, and it, it deserves all the accolades that it's getting. Even if yes. you're not from Minneapolis, consider traveling here perhaps in the summertime because it's cold as fuck and right now. And they also have an outdoor patio. Yes. They have outdoor seating, which would be fantastic. But, I mean, it it, it truly is. It's right up there with any fine dining mm-hmm. experience that you would have. And indigenous cuisine when was the last time that someone was like oh my favorite cuisine is uh you know native american cuisine like you know we can talk in a whole other episode about how uh american history has done a lot to kind of like <laughs> right. sweep that under the rug but um kudos to them for not only featuring that cuisine front and center but also showing that it can be done in a fine dining format and not just like well and i would also like venture to say half of the ingredients i would i would say three quarters of the ingredients on these menus most people have never had like i think you're i think you're right well, yeah, we could talk endlessly about this, but we just wanted to share that because it really was a remarkable experience and we, we had a great time. I and felt a lot of things the next day. Yes. It was so good. Um, hey, do you want to talk about <laughs> Tattersall Distillery here in Minneapolis makes an Arby's Curly Fry Vodka? <laughs> I I, I put this up on social media and people thought I was joking, but I'm, I'm not joking, my friends. It is infused with... Probably the same spice mixture that is in Arby's curly. You used to work at Arby's. I used to work at Arby's. Hell yeah. So cayenne, paprika, onion, and garlic. Does that sound right? The curly fries came in a bag. I couldn't tell you what they were. You probably could taste, right? When I was in high school, my palate was not... My palate was not that well-defined, and I used to just scarf and barf. So, you know, whatever. (laughs) Well, but I have to say, this sounds like it would be really freaking good in a Bloody Mary if that and, is your jam. And that was kind of what I was reading. I'm, I'm sure this started off as kind of a marketing gimmick, and maybe as 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 you know, just no. They do they do some really weird things. You're talking about Tattersall. Yes, they will do because I last year I saw something that they did. I don't remember what it was. I was like, well, what the fuck, but. They'll yeah. do they'll do weird one off things and I'm I'm sure plenty of people bought it. I mean this sure. was around during the holidays, so plenty of people probably bought it as a gag gift for, for Christmas and was like, Hey, Arby's curly fry vodka, knock yourself out. But yeah, I've been told that it's it's good in Bloody Marys. I'm not a huge Bloody Mary fan personally. No, so. or you could do like a I don't know. It's not called a uh, margarita, but you could do like a vodka version of the margarita. Sure. I'm sure there's a name for it, Why like not? a spicy, like a spicy margarita type situation. Yeah. 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 Probably. Sure. <laughs> you want to talk about uh, what we're currently working on? Yes. 
so we are currently working on half baked harvest, super simple, by Tegan Gerard. Second book by her. She's got a new one coming out, yes. which we will be receiving called mm-hmm. Half Baked Harvest Every Day. So we may be featuring that. Woo-woo. Yeah, but this is just um, kind of simplified, quick and easy recipes from her hugely successful first book and and blog and um enjoying it so far and that kind of leads us into what's for dinner yes so tonight we're having a pomegranate braised short ribs with sweet potato mash and uh, it's in the slow cooker right now Mm -hmm. it's been in there since noon (laughs) so (laughs) it's gonna be great it's It's, gonna be great up the filling up the condo with delicious aromas Oh, and I had a cooking-related injury. You did. Oh. I feel so bad for you. Uh, I was searing the short ribs, and some of the fat popped. And I hate when the fat pops. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have like a nice little collection. We should put a picture of, of that on social media. Uh, Otherwise, it, it, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. But uh, yeah, it's it, funny it, though because this seems kind of like a pussy. Like no, it, like, I. I, I because I feel your pain. This looks nasty. I've had much worse burns working in restaurants. It never gets any easier. It does not. But I, I think it's. I think when you get like hot grease splattered on you, it hurts more rather than when you like singe your arm like on yeah. the. Well, because it's lingering. Yeah. Not like hot sugar, but. Ooh. But, yeah, we're not even going to talk about hot sugar. Yeah. But yeah, like, so yeah, I have a nice little... Hot sugar was one of the women that worked for James Lipton. James Lipton. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like his, 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 best, his best woman <laughs> back in France. All right. Our show topic for this episode is... You're so funny. Wine drinkers. <laughs> You're going to be okay over there? God, I apologize, listeners. Uh, shut up. No, I'm, I'm, I'm funny. I'm, I'm, I'm cute. The, the apology I'm is cute. For, for both of us because this is just a hot mess of an episode. Okay. Uh, We're good. Might delete later. <laughs> Never know. <laughs> what is your favorite type of wine to drink? And uh, we got a lot of submissions. I know. I love it. Drinkers. I love it. The pandemic has turned everyone into... Wine connoisseurs. Yes. Uh, you want to start with the first one? Yes. Uh, DNK said, I like Cabernet Sauvignon and white Moscato. Ooh, that's, she likes the sweet. That's she a likes, departure. She likes I mean, the white a, sweet shit. Yeah, yeah. From a Cabernet to like a Moscato. Yeah. That's, that kind of blows my mind. Um, depends on what I'm eating. And then our buddy Jack Daw said, Italian reds and reds from the south of France. Um, he listed a few specifics, but... We, we got a long list to get through. Yeah. So. Uh, Betty Ray said, I still love a good Cote de Rhone. And then Kenan R said, depends on the context of my day, mood, location, blah, blah. And I totally get that because, I mean, if I'm gathered around a burning trash can with a few acquaintances who may or may not have cleaning products coursing through their veins, a vintage Beaujolais seems a little bit bougie to be sharing with them. Actually, it's not. You well, think? no. Uh, well, uh, like, okay, a vintage Beaujolais, yes, yes. but a new release Beaujolais, so, not so much. I mean, I get, you know, it depends on the food, <laughs> the occasion. If we're drinking a new release Beaujolais, yes. it, fits, it fits the Drink occasion. Away. <laughs> and then our uh, friend Victor K said he's not a huge wine guy. That reminds me of that joke I told you earlier. What do you oh. call a guy that's under six feet tall? A friend. A friend. 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Didn't come from me. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about dating short men and that's that's their sure. joke. So anyway, get to it, he son. Said, what can I? <laughs> but he said, uh, "What I can get is uh, I love a good Malbec, Black Tears, which sounds like a sad bastard band, is incredible. I've not heard of that one. Black Tears. Black Tears would be a good. It does sound like a sad bastard band. There's too many bands with black in the title, though, mm-hmm. like Black Keys, you know, all that stuff. So anyway, um, uh, next one." Kairos D said ones that are made from grapes. Well, thanks. You're so very, very specific on <laughs> yep. that one. Our friend Kimberly R said a good buttery Chardonnay from California is Oof. my recent fallback. You're, you're not on board with that, huh? I'm not down with the buttery. No, I'm kind of with you on that. But mm. uh, she says, I also really like a, uh, to pair with food. So for steak meals, I need a spicy cab, mm. a Cote de Rhone for wintry comfort food. Uh, rosé is my summertime patio drink. I hear you on that one. Bubbles with brunch, of course. Uh, let's see. Riker, <laughs> cheap box wine. Three buck chuck. So that that got me falling down the rabbit hole of Charles Shaw and Trader Joe's. Really? Because you know that was like our drink of choice for many years. When we moved into our fur, like when we moved into the place on Roscoe. In Chicago, we were we used that to was get, our exposure to Trader Joe's. We used to get three buck chuck by the case. We did, and I'd always like at the checkout, I'd I'd, I'd mention to the cashier like, oh, yeah, we use it for cooking because like I I <laughs> felt didn't a little look like em- an alcoholic. I, yeah, I felt a little embarrassed buying a case of of cheap three buck chuck. Well, uh, which you know. used to be two buck chuck. It but, used you know, to be thanks to inflation. Chuck. You know what? You know what else went up. From from inflation, uh, Jay Z now has a hundred and fourteen point two problems to the ninety nine. Shut up! <laughs> Come on, that was good. No, it wasn't. Oh, all right. So this got me thinking about uh, Charles Shaw. First of all, is it a real person? Answer: Yes. And um, how this happened? So Charles Shaw used his wife's money. He married into a wealthy family to buy. Yep. (laughs) Uh, To buy 20 acres of Napa Valley land um, in 1974 to start a winery. Business was automatically brisk and he kind of knew some wine knowledge and he eventually built that up into 115 acres by the late 1980s. Um, Unfortunately, Charles Shaw's business acumen was not always the greatest. Um, he once mistaked uh, wax that was used for wine barrels. Uh, instead of beeswax, he used some petroleum-based wax, and it tainted a supply of wine to the tune of 1,400 barrels that he had to discard. Did you hear that, Victoria? Wait, hold on. I was in the bathroom, and did I hear you say mistaked? Mistaken. Oh, I thought you said mistaked. I probably did. <laughs> <laughs> But my point was, he used a petroleum-based wax instead of beeswax for his barrels, and he had to discard 1,400 of them. And then he also mistakenly, right, Mm -hmm. anticipated the demand for burgundy wines, which were skyrocketing at the time, but the demand was like on the decline. decline. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he had a root lice that uh, infected his crops 
uh, that chewed it as grapes because those root lice, all they do is chew grapes. So by 1992, business was kind of waning. So he went bankrupt and uh, the assets were purchased by Fanzia Wine. Uh, owner Wait, of Fanzia Bro- or Franzia? I think it's Fred Fanzia. That's well, what it says okay. in this article. I'm just I'm see my classy ass is just like I mean I, maybe it's a misspelling. I, my, Franzia, I, I go to like anyway, Franzia wine. It's it's Bronco Wine Company, and they sell about eighty different wine labels at varying price points. And for the Trader Joe's stuff, the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they decided to debut this Charles Shaw line. Uh, it debuted at uh, Trader Joe's in 2002 and sold for $1.99 a bottle in some markets. Uh, two Buck Chuck. Two Buck Chuck. That's the name. They were able to do this because eventually they had some vineyards in uh, California's uh, San Joaquin Valley, which is comparatively cheaper than Napa and Sonoma. Um, that was supplying the wine. And then they also fermented this wine in oak chips instead of oak barrels, which was which cut down on the cost. And then surprisingly, they ship it in uh, lighter wine bottles with like thinner glass. So it's not as heavy. Well, it's probably cheaper. That's what I'm saying. Like that's, <laughs> this, is, this is all the stuff they did to keep the cost down. Because like, how can you sell a bottle for $2? So... I, th- I thought this was really interesting stuff. Charles Shaw, as far as I know, is still alive, and he is uh, marketing software for a cardiac surgery monitoring company. So uh, anyway, All right, that your cousin was... Riker likes the the three buck chuck well, in the box. No, he, they do have they do have mm. the. I forgot Trader Joe's has box wine. <laughs> our, our buddy Alex R said Bordeaux or a petite syrup. Uh, David A. said Chilean, uh, Casiero del Diablo, cheap, but to my liking. That's the stuff with the plastic bowls. Yes, it is. Bulls blood. Previously, the packaging for this wine included a little ribbon along the neck of the bottle that, that had a little plastic bowl attached to it. And we drank so much of this we back had in the day. We had a whole bowl full that we of had them. A little, yeah, we had a little vintage uh, ceramic bowl that we would throw those in when we finished a bottle. And we had a, like this overflowing plastic bowl bottle with that. So we're, we're <laughs> worth it with you, Dave. Um, Heather K said uh, Grenache or a Matrasal. Yes, thank you. Um, I'll get to that in a second. Cote Rhone or GMS blend. My trick with randomly trying new reds is to look for the word pepper in pepper. the description. Okay. Not the spice, but that can mean a variety of things. She's always looking for a delicious but inexpensive wine. Uh, she tends to stick with Spain or France. Wise choice. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's a thing that I've read. Um, I'm by no means, uh, a, a, you know, a wine connoisseur knowledgeable. I, I do try and read about and learn more about it. But old world, a lot of times these vineyards have been in the family for generations. The land is paid for. They've been doing this a long time. They've learned from their mistakes. They, you know, have the process down to a science uh, compared to in America where the land is often at a premium. So, you know, a lot of times people say, you know, 
best to go old world mm-hmm. European. Agree. So Cat yeah. B said Prisoner Red Blend. I believe is that like a it's 19, a brand. It's is oh I was gonna say is that a Nineteen Crimes. No, I don't. I think okay. it's just prisoner. Yeah, I okay. don't. I, I I know of it. I don't really know specifically about it. But uh, right. our friend John H said, "Just a fan of decent Pinot Noirs." You and everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Mimi M said, "Anything with bubbles." See, I used to like love champagne and stuff, but I find that it gives me the worst, the worst hangover. I, I agree. Like, it does me as well. I can I, have, I'm, I can have one glass of it, and then I'm like done. I'm good for a glass or two. I couldn't drink it all night long because no. Our friends Betty and Roger said, uh, Betty says Pinot Noir. Roger likes all. And he put in parentheses reds. So he likes he likes all reds. I, I remember that there was a quote that I used to repeat all the time that said, a, a wine's first responsibility is to be to red. To be red, yes. Yeah. But I'm not that much of a snob anymore because, no. like, you know, we're, we're, we're doing it all. There are delicious whites. Yes. Um, uh, Maxwell Gurry 2018 said Pinot Noir. Kate's Food Diary said Cabernet. My Love and Spoonful said Zin. Mm-hmm. Bring us in with the last one. Uh, at Des Pages and Cuisine said anything. It all depends on the context and the dish it comes with. But I love sparkling Italian wines, especially during summer for an aperitif. Great. All right. So tell me about your picks. Okay. So... Previously, like many others, I would have said Pinot Noir, although it is tough to find good ones at a lower price point, so you're generally spending a little bit more than you would on other varietals. Um, But I I would say this without much thought as to the why behind it, other than that I like the taste and that I saw the movie Sideways many years ago. (laughs) And so, tangentially, uh, I also thought that I hated Merlot's for no good reason, Um, And that got me thinking about the whole what's referred to as the sideways effect. And you might think this is a myth, but there have been studies and there was one where astonishingly. I read about this whole thing too. California wine grape production in general was up about seven or eight percent annually um, during the time that sideways came out, like for the, you know, three years after it came out. Meanwhile, uh, Merlot sales dropped two percent and pinot sales jumped 16 percent in that same period Hmm. so i mean there's definitely something to it and i was guilty of falling for that as well so in my effort to perhaps right the ship i am going to say that i've recently been enjoying merlots again and we found some good ones and then also about a year ago or so we discovered what's referred to as orange wines yes which, i totally did not even yeah they're not made with oranges uh it's a type of white wine made by leaving the grape skins and seeds in contact with the juice creating this deep orange hued finished product they're great in the summertime very refreshing specifically field recordings makes uh one called skins that we're quite fond of. So uh, I can't believe I didn't even like think of that. Yeah, like, it didn't, I just it thought didn't that was even that was kind of an interesting one that just resulted in our own kind of research and just reading about something. And then we and then we kind of fell down that rabbit hole. And there's like tons of if, if you go to any reputable wine shop and just tell them you're looking for like orange wines or natural wines, they'll be able to mm-hmm. steer you in the right direction. So anyway, what did you have? 
Uh, f- well, for reds, I would say Mavedra, which uh, Heather K clocked as Montresel in its native Spain, because that's where most of it comes from. And then it also comes from France. Mm-hmm. And I got turned on to it when, when I was working at a wine bar in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it, I would sit after work and drink glasses and glasses of Mouvedra as you would with me. Um, it's it's uh, very, and it's kind of crazy because it's a really high in tannins, which I always think I don't like, but I do. I guess I do. And yeah. it's it's like, it's like a very meaty kind of wine. Full-bodied. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if we're talking about white, it's always going to be Sauvignon Blanc. I, I tend to lean towards the New Zealand ones. They do it very well. Um, and I can tell you, the first bottle of wine I ever bought was a <laughs> it was it was a Sauvignon Blanc from Fetzer. When we first started dating, I remember that was kind of your go-to it wine. It totally was. If we went to a store and picked out wine together, that was, yeah. your, that was your thing. So like, I've I've enjoyed many of that um, as well with I, you. I, th- I think I think it's funny that I can still remember like the first bottle of wine that I ever bought. Like it was a very momentous occasion for me. Did I you're, say that right? You're momentous? all grown up. Monumental. Monumental. Sure. Both. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's get to the book. Milk Street Vegetables. So uh-huh. we did this during our dry January and meat free January. Um, the arrival of this book was quite timely because it also fell on the heels of we had just completed both Treasures of the Mexican Table and Mumbai Modern, which mm-hmm. we, we focused on vegetarian dishes, but they were also a little bit more involved uh, just technique and preparation wise than this one. So we were kind of welcoming like a nice, simple, easy book that we could lean into. Can I just say? Yes. When we got this book, I looked through it and I was just kind of like, Meh. like I paged through it. I was like, Meh, I don't. You weren't feeling it. There was nothing like I. Yeah, I didn't mark anything or whatever. And then I gave it to you. Uh huh. And you marked stuff. I found a ton of stuff. And then I was like, I don't know. Maybe I was in a mood that day sure, when I looked sure. at it. But so i mean this book has over 250 recipes focusing on a variety of different vegetables so you definitely have no shortage of options there's also a handy index in the front of the book categorizing meals by vegetables so if you are looking for inspiration to like make something that you have on hand you've got that option few of the recipes contain more than a dozen uh ingredients and most require only three steps or less to complete and you know that Milk Street is always going to deliver dishes and techniques that seem thoughtful and well-tested. So well. we, we had a few issues with mm-hmm. at least one of the recipes, but for the most part, I would say that that's accurate. It's true, yeah. Yeah. So we'll go down a bullet list of what we made. Uh, we made a jicama and orange salad with queso fresco. I mean, Chris... Smashed potatoes with cilantro yogurt and a hot sauce. Yes. Spicy roasted cauliflower with sun-dried tomatoes and almonds. Pearl couscous risotto. Quote, unquote. (laughs) With asparagus. Inverted pizza with onions, potatoes, and thyme. All right. 
Well, let's talk about this first dish. So this was the jicama and orange salad with queso fresco. Uh, January, it was citrus season. So we're kind of leaning into that. Um, Jicama is a star here. So this is a dish that, or the ingredient that's native to Mexico. It's got a mild sweetness and a crisp, starchy character, kind of like a potato. You know what's funny? I remember the first time I had jicama. I was in sixth grade. What'd you think? Sixth grade. That's adventurous. It's a long time ago. What'd you think? Because I I loved it. Um, I had a girlfriend who I'd never heard of anything about like vegetarianism or whatever, but Uh um, I had this girlfriend named Rebecca who she lived up the street with her dad and they're vegetarians and she did... Uh, point ballet. Pretty progressive back they in the day. They were so granola and progressive, and I loved them. Goddamn Columbia Heights hippies. I know. Right? It was so rare to find in Columbia Heights. I fucking love them. And then they moved. Oh. So, yeah, jicama. Sorry. I mean, this is often peeled because it's got kind of a fibrous outer skin mm-hmm. um, and eaten raw. But um, we've had like jicama fries before. We made jicama tacos. We mm-hmm. did it like three ways. We roasted it and I think mashed it maybe. And then I don't know. This was my introduction to supreming citrus, which you patiently showed me how to do. I try. And now, now it's in my cooking repertoire. I try not to like hover over him while he's doing something. But I saw him trying to supreme. I wasn't doing it right. <laughs> I but, was like, I was like, but wait. you showed me how to do it. Yeah. So now I I gained a new skill, and then this had a dressing that consisted of uh, the citrus juice that you kind of reserve, mm-hmm. and then uh, some agave nectar, grapeseed oil, and a little pinch of ancho chili powder. So a little bit of it, a little bit of heat, just a hint, and I, then it was good. Like um, I believe we um, oh we well we use blood oranges. Yeah, we use a variety of citrus. And some grapefruit. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had it for like an impromptu dinner on some... Yeah, so we made this, photographed it, and then a few nights later we had some friends over for dinner and we were doing uh, some takeout and we needed a little side thing to throw together. Oh yeah, it was the Herbie Butcher. The, the vegan, vegan fried chicken, mm-hmm. which we pre- previously ridiculed in, a, in another episode and we've come around to realizing that we actually enjoy it but it shouldn't be called vegan fried chicken i'm standing by that but anyway um we served it with that and everyone enjoyed it including the kid yes so uh yes our well by the way our friends have a a five-year-old daughter and she loved it Mm -hmm. yeah so that's why he said including the kid yep let's move on to oven crisp smash potatoes with cilantro yogurt hot sauce thank you for paying that one up for me yep. <laughs> <laughs> so the potatoes first get boiled and then you roast them and that ensures that they're going to be soft and creamy inside yet crunchy on the outside so and also this is said to sprinkle coconut on them but we we're like no that, that just it's that, still, it didn't sound good to yeah, us. Yeah, to at this all. day, it does not sound good to me. So I, I I can't comment on the flavor and how it would have tasted, but we were just like, no. Yeah. Um. It gets it got this green sauce dribbled oh, dribbled over it, which it, it's like um a Somali version of a sauce called babas, and it, it contains cilantro, yogurt, chilies, garlic, and lime. 
uh, and vinegar. And it goes into a blender. Mm-hmm. And, and it's beautiful, vibrant, yeah. delicious, like herby. And we had leftovers and then we use this on you know, yeah, some other you, dishes. Like, okay, so Johnny is like the master of kind of like garbage can lunches. <laughs> <laughs> Not literally digging in a garbage can, but uh, close. But all the shit that we have hanging out in the fridge, he'll make a lunch out of. Yep. So he's that's something that I use for his lunch. I gotta start a new Instagram page where I just like you make do garbage you do can lunches. garbage can lunch. Yep. Uh, the next thing was a spicy roasted cauliflower with sun dried tomatoes and almonds. If you want to eat more vegetables, this is like the perfect dish. It starts with a paste that's made with cilantro, sun dried tomatoes, almonds. Pumpkin seeds and chilies and cumin. Almost like a relish of sorts, mm-hmm. but a little more finely chopped than that. Yep. And that gets put on the um, cauliflower and then it gets roasted in the oven. But then you reserve mm-hmm. half of it and that gets mixed with lime, lime juice, juice to thin it out a little lime, bit. Yep. Lime so juice then it and sour cream. becomes more of like a sauce or dressing. Yeah. As opposed to like a paste. Yes. I love this. This is probably one of my favorites from the book. Mm-hmm. Um, tons of flavor. And we were kind of on a cauliflower kick at that time because yeah, we, had, we, totally we were. had done some from the previous books that we mentioned. And so this was a continuation of that. And it was great. Yep. Um, okay. So this next one. Uh. Ooh. Pearl couscous risotto. And I use that term in quotation marks with asparagus. This is supposed to be kind of an alternative to being tethered to your stove for an hour or so while you stir the risotto or a barrio bar rice, rice. <laughs> as, as, it, as it is referred to. Uh, and so it substitutes that for couscous, which is supposed to make the process easier. But strangely, the ratio of liquid to couscous was way off in this recipe. So it was so bad. Uh, the recipe calls for a cup of couscous to three cups of water, even though the couscous packaging calls for one cup of couscous to one and a half cups of water. Uh, we ended up having to strain some of this liquid from the dish because it, it was done. And there was still like oh, way too much swimming. liquid. It was like it was a soup. Swimming. And so we uh, strained it and then we were able to salvage the dish. Yeah. Don't get us wrong. We didn't have to call for takeout or anything, but it just, it was a bit of a miss for us because of. I don't understand how like they made this work. I like, yeah, I'm truly, I don't either. I'm truly freaking baffled because that's a, that's a pretty large ratio i get like with risotto it's like a three to one ratio mm-hmm. well yeah because the well i mean the recipe called for like some white wine to be added and then you stir that right and then and then you add and then you just add like the full three cups right of liquid no no uh intervals or anything like no. that it just like yep so yeah it was a it was a horrible failure, and but we managed to save it, yeah, and it yeah, tasted delicious. Totally. 
So I mean, the key is also to start with properly sized asparagus because you don't want anything that's too thick or too mm-hmm. thin because it's got to cook at the right time. And I think that was was fine. But yeah, it was just it was a weird recipe. And and we were kind of like in the thick of it when we we're, realized like we're this scr- isn't going to work. Yeah, we're scrambling. We're like, OK, what are we going to do? Are we going to scrap it? No, let's just right strain it and we'll right. make it work. Yeah. And it, it, it was fine. But a few adjustments. Be forewarned if you decide to make this. Bad recipe. Okay, and then lastly, we had an inverted pizza with onions, potatoes, and thyme. And this one intrigued us because, as the title suggests, you kind of layer your ingredients on the sheet pan first with the dough on top, and then you bake it that way in the oven, and then you flip it, once it's done to reveal your cooked pizza mm-hmm. um, with the ingredients on the bottom. We always think that potatoes on pizza is bullshit. Yeah. Much like it's pineapple. So, it, yeah. It's so just, it's so weird. Yeah. So we, we made the executive decision to omit the potatoes and use some uh, thinly sliced pears, which strangely look just like the Potatoes they totally did. Finished. They so totally like, did. You, you couldn't know, tell. If we hadn't told anyone in the photo, you would have just thought that there were potatoes on there. Um, and then it does call for uh, store-bought pizza dough, but we just, you know, per usual, referred to our trusty Paul Cahan cooking for good times pizza dough recipe. Mm-hmm. If you don't have the book, it's worth Get buying it. yep. just for that. Mm-hmm. Anything else to say about uh, this? Once the pizza is done, you put a little you okay bit of coat. You need a nap? I do. Shut up. I'm going to climb up over on the couch up All here. Right. and Do the rest of the podcast from there. Yes. I got you. I'm, I'm there for you. <laughs> Don't be a dick. I'm tired. All right. Um, it's been a long day. Um, it, it long day a, of drinking. It gets a little bit of ricotta. I can't believe I'm like still actually like up on my feet. Um, it gets a little bit of ricotta on the top. Delicious. Yeah. And a new technique that we had never done before. So. I mean, I don't know that I'll do that no, ever again. No, not, not going to be my go-to it, pizza technique. But it was, fun. it was fun to do. Yeah, totally. You know, so. All right. So before we jump into our rankings, we're going to discuss the most critical Amazon reviews. All and right. I went on ye old Amazon. There was no one-star reviews. There was a couple of two-stars that were worth mentioning. Uh, you want me to start with the first one? I'll do the first one. Okay, go for it. Okay. First one is from Euler. It's two out of five stars. Uh, nothing new here. here. I love how they spelled it here. here is, H-E-A-R. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this seems to be just a collection of vegetable recipes from the magazine. Also, very few entree recipes. I mean, I get it. Like, I looked through the book the first well, time. And I was thing. just like, eh. I think a lot of people, including someone like my mom, think that, Traditionally, a meal, like especially something for dinner, has to include meat yes, or a protein. Like if that's how you were raised, it's it's a tough thing to wrap your head around where you, you think, that, you know, you can just have vegetables and that's going to be filling for a meal. And that's something that, you know, if I'm being honest, I probably still struggle with. And so you just have to get past that mindset that thinking vegetables aren't somehow filling or... Uh, substantial enough to stand on their own as a dinner. And so maybe that's where they're kind of coming from. But um, nothing to fear. You'll you'll eat this. You'll be full. You'll be satisfied. It's not a problem. 
Okay, and then the next one comes from uh, Mary Jo Demonchuk. She gave it a two out of five stars. She said, uh, not for everyone. I ordered it on a wait, and I expected it to be better than I thought. I like Milk Street recipes, but as a good cook, I felt the vegetable recipes were a bit lackluster. So, all right. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want Mary Jo's recipes. Maybe oh she's got some better ones. So, all right. So now we're moving into our rankings, beginning with food photography and styling. What'd you have, Victoria? Okay, I gave it a three. Okay. Um, lots. Of, well, okay. There are so many recipes jammed in here. 250 mm-hmm. to be exact. So there were a lot of quarter page photos. I don't know. I don't, I didn't feel like they were all that special. A lot. Okay. So, uh, throughout the book, there would be highlights on vegetables. Mm-hmm. Uh, just singular highlights on vegetables. And I like the fact that some of the vegetables that they featured were imperfect. I didn't notice that. Yes. Okay. Like there were carrots that were kind of fucked up. Like Okay. Which I really appreciate. So either organic or just imperfect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, And a lot of, and they had like some of the overheads. A lot of the overheads are like photographed off center. Yep. And then there were also some photos that uh, I'm not a food photographer. I don't know what the term is, but it reminded me of looking at something under um, a microscope. Like it had like that very all like white light in the background. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then you know what I'm talking about. White light like with the onions and the alliums. Like, it's just white. They're thinly sliced. It, it reminds me Very, of, like... Very, like, kind of antiseptic. hmm Yep. And that's also something that I said about most of the photos. Mm-hmm. It, it felt very antiseptic to me. Mm-hmm. So, that's that. Okay. It, it wasn't, like, nothing to me. Nothing was overly styled. There weren't a lot of, like, implements. There no, not at all. Very there clean. There wasn't any linens yep. or, like... So, yeah. Okay. All right. So, I gave it a four... Uh, Many of the photos are smaller in size, presumably to accommodate the space constraints of the book with over 250 recipes. Because if you had a recipe that had a full page photo, the book would be like twice as fat as it is. They look very stylized. And I I know there was like a photography studio that was credited with the photography. So I'm assuming like most of these were done in a studio, very stylized. You know, they scheduled shooting dates for the recipes. Almost, uh, wait, tell me how they look stylized to you. I'm getting to that. Okay. So you know how sometimes when you're watching a movie and you can almost see, quote unquote, the script as you're watching it, man enters, pauses as he looks around. Then he takes a sip of his drink. So these photos almost have that same effect, like bell peppers glistening with morning dew, a stylist meticulously places rosemary sprigs in a strategic place with tweezers. You know what I mean? Like it's almost distracting because they're almost like so perfectly styled where they have oh, like. I didn't get that at all. Oh, yeah. I like, did not think they were perfectly styled at They all. look very. No. Deliberately styled to me. Okay. With like perfect lighting. Well, yeah, the perfect lighting and stuff, but I didn't... You could tell there was no... But if it's a Milk Street thing, I I get that. These did not come off 
like out of the pan and onto somewhere, you know, in someone's like home kitchen and then we're photographed. I like, get it. These, yeah. Okay. Schedule, I get it. Yeah. They scheduled styling dates. I can guarantee it. And I just, that's what came up in my head when I was looking at these photos is they kind of lacked any kind of like quote unquote soul um, or spontaneity. While the photos are technically great, they lack any kind of, you know, like what I mentioned. So it's almost like this overachievement. Wait, you gave it a four? I gave it a four because there was like nothing. I mean, it's hard to fault the photos because they look pleasant. They're nice. They just didn't like grab me. What if it's me boring? What? Because like, how can you? It's like, um, it's kind of like grading someone, you know, musically who's like technically like super proficient. It's like, how can you really like give them bad marks for their performance, even though like it just didn't do anything for but, you because like they lack that little something extra. But that's part of the, that is part of the performance. It's my rating. Why are you criticizing it? I'm not. <laughs> I just, I just don't understand. No, I'm just sorry. I'm like having a hard time understanding. Okay, so like, I I don't know. I'm totally lost now. I'm just saying, like, you can't really mark someone down exceedingly for not doing anything for you. You can, you, you can, but you can can acknowledge like the competence of it. And be like, oh, that's some nice food photography and styling, but it just doesn't do anything for but the, me. Well, but the thing is, though, it should do something for you. It should. Well, that's when I would it rank it a five. Have, well, no. But I think a three. Not necessarily. I think a three is too low because that implies that it's kind of average when it's not to really me, it like. Felt, it felt very average okay. to me. That's your like it that, should like but but that's your ranking. I know. That's your opinion. I know. This is all I'm, about I'm opinions. stepping all over you. Kind of. But I okay. okay. I apologize. No, it, I I I actually do apologize. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm like blah 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 blah. All right. Okay. Design and layout. <laughs> I gave it a three point five. Okay. One thing that I thought was really weird, and I don't know if you noticed it, was uh, for every step of the method. The first sentence, the first sentence is like bolded, whether oh, it's I didn't like, that. yeah, whether it's like add three tablespoons of water, huh. which when, when something is bolded to me, it should be important. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Totally. So I'm just like, what the, what the fuck? Huh. Um, uh, Weird design choice. Yeah. Um, there really is no like set page layout all the recipes are different mm-hmm. um at the beginning they do have a, or an index of recipes by vegetables mm-hmm. um but there are 10 different sections of recipes and throughout the book there are different vegetables that are highlighted that comes with like a full photo on one page and info on the next page, I, th- I thought like all the information that was given was like very clear and concise. Mm-hmm. Would you give it? I gave it a four. Okay. Uh, for many of the reasons that you mentioned, uh, recipes by the vegetable section are very useful. So if you have something on hand and you're looking for some inspiration, you could just turn to the front of the book and there's a little index there divided by a uh, vegetable. You can use that. Um, most recipes do fit on a single page and include a photo, but as you mentioned, the photo is kind of small. It's not Mm -hmm. like a full page photo. There are some of those, but a lot of them are just little like 
quarter page photos or something. Chapters are divided into things like salads and they have like a, a separate chapter for side salads and supper salads. Mary Jo would be uh, pretty excited about the, the supper salad since she didn't think that uh, there was anything substantial there for a meal. But uh, it's soups, there's things that you can cook on a stovetop, things that are, you know, cooked in the oven, baked in the oven, stir fries pasta and grains so i mean it's it's an overall like very easy to navigate book as you mentioned there's some sections that focus on a particular ingredient offering kind of like characteristics of the vegetable some traditional preparations from around the globe flavor profiles so there was like things like leeks summer squash asparagus corn blah 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 the head notes are very brief mm-hmm. oftentimes just like one paragraph Nice and concise. Like you said, there's there's not a real like strict format to the recipe layout, but overall it's not like difficult to follow or anything. So it the the size of the photos is probably what's gonna throw some people off because so many people are used to paging through books Having that have big, a full beautiful page photo. photos. Yeah. Um, See, and I thought those photos look and I thought those photos look kind of grubby. To me, that's what like that. Yeah, I can understand your your reasoning for the three. So uh, degree of difficulty. I gave it a two. Okay. Um, except for (laughs) the fucking disaster we had. Yeah, that risotto. Everything was really easy. Like I'd give it to a friend who wanted to explore like cooking or like cooking vegetarian. Mm -hmm. I'd like put a note on that particular page right. and be like <laughs> and hope there's no others like that yeah but yeah i don't think any they're like there was like not one single recipe that i cracked open to in the book where i was like oh that is really hard i don't think we can do that yeah um so yeah um i gave it a two as well most recipes require less than 30 minutes from start to finish of uh, prep time They contain no less than a dozen ingredients and require less than five steps to complete. No dessert baking, obviously, Mm -hmm. because the focus is on vegetables. So I think that removes some of the difficulty from the equation of a lot of cookbooks. But um, yeah, no issues with the degree of difficulty. I think it's like anyone who's like a competent home cook will have no issue navigating this. Yep. Uh, Taste. Um, I give it a four. Okay. Everything tasted very good. There was like no um, having to tweak anything. But then again, I have With to the say, exception of that potato recipe that we decided not to sprinkle coconut all coconut over Coconut on, yeah. Which seems still to this day weird. But then again, I have to say there was nothing that was like spiced enough that it blew my hair out of the water. Where Correct. I was like... Where I, so you know what I'm gonna change it to three point five. Okay. Because like seriously, everything was like it was like middle of the road. So yeah, three point five. There you go. Would you? I gave it a four. Okay. Yeah. I I find everything enjoyable. We needed to make a few adjustments, but nothing offended me. Everything seemed to work out. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Maybe I should change it to a three. I'm going to change it to a three. Okay. Is it still too late? No, it's. Right. I changed mine. Yeah, it's a three. Okay. It's a solid three. All right. Um. All right. And then we've reached our new segment, Food for Thought, Food Idioms Explained. And this is a good one. This This is, uh, you've heard the expression. Crying over spilled milk. Yep. 
Okay, so this is an old English proverb. It goes back to at least uh, 360 years. James Hallwell, who was an old English historian and writer, used the phrase in a book called Proverbs in 1659, no weeping for shed milk. Doesn't have the same ring to it. No, it doesn't. It may have come from supernatural lore, which is something. This is something that I was like, I used to be really into, like the the folk and fairy lore. Um, in the days when people believed strongly in fairies, it was common to lay out a shrine for them, consisting of small quantities of food and drink. Um, particularly their favorite, which was milk. I didn't know milk was the favorite beverage of i knew that (laughs) you really leave our Um, shrine i know well because you would leave it out in like a like a a little you're not gonna leave it out in an apartment or whatever yeah i think nowadays you could leave out some arby's curly fries maybe (laughs) like you would leave it out little shrine to them yeah they don't like those no i don't think they would (laughs) i think they would like be like fuck this noise maybe the vodka Mm. You would leave out quantities of food and drink. Um, and yes, their favorite was milk. So whenever like if milk got spilled, it, would, it wasn't anything to worry about. You would just consider it as like a little offering to the fairies. Don't cry over spilled milk. Yeah. That's a very lovely food idiom. It very is. pleasant. Yeah. Nice. Some, some, some great origins of it. All right. Okay, so if you enjoyed the show, please rank and review us. You can follow us on our on all of our socials. Our Instagram is at we underscore cook underscore books, and our Facebook is at we cook books. All right, so joke time. Okay. And this is kind of inspired by a trip we took this afternoon to Ven Brewing, V-E-N-N, which in Norwegian means friend. How's that mm-hmm. for you? Right? Very welcoming. That sounds lovely to me. It's right in our neighborhood here in Minneapolis. And uh, a, a lovely place. They had like uh, a nice little brew pub. It was dog friendly. I oh, got I got. There must two. have been like six dogs in oh there. Oh my God. It I was had great. to pet so many dogs. You did. Well, like we... We've been dealing with old dogs in the past, like forest years. We have a, we have a dog, but she's a senior. She's she's not the most energetic. She mostly just sleeps all day. So we like love a good wiggle butt. Yep, so good. And we had some really really good beers. Yeah, pleasant space. They got a great outdoor area. They've mm-hmm. got food trucks parked outside. So probably going to become a regular stop. Yeah, for us. So this this joke was kind of inspired by our visit there because uh, we we went, we were enjoying some beer, and uh, I noticed there was a certain point where you said, uh, I love you so much. I, I, I don't know what I could ever do without you. And I, and I, and I <laughs> turned and I commented to you and I was like, is that you or the beer talking? And you said, it's me talking to the beer. Hello? Okay. Is this thing on? Okay. (laughs) That was so dumb. No. That wasn't a joke. That was was totally a joke. No, it wasn't. Do we have to argue about what constitutes (laughs) funny now? That was so dumb. Because that was really funny. All right. You don't know. If you say so. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) Stay safe. Stay hungry. Bye.